everybody. It's great to be back with you. My name is John Lemons. I'm the minister to young adults at First Baptist Church. If you don't know who I am, First Baptist Church of Huntsville. And uh, as always, uh, as we've been doing all month, I'm joined by Sam Maxwell, who is our young adult ministry resident, and Charlie Lowry, who is our minister of contemporary worship. How are y'all doing? Doing well. Fantabulous. Good to, good to have you guys. <laughs> I feel like we've had a good uh, couple of weeks here, a few weeks, and we've got yeah. two more to go. This is our next to last one. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to kind of miss uh, this little format. And we've got some exciting things planned for September, I think, mm-hmm. in October. But this has been a fun conversation. I hope it has it been really for you. It really has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been the highlight of my week. Um, I And I said this from the beginning, without knowing how much work would be involved in the process, yeah. that we have to continue this somehow. But even if that means maybe we take a gap month or two, um, that's fine. But I, I am highly requesting personally that we, we go back to doing something like this again. Yeah, yeah, this is this has been a lot of fun, and it's been mm-hmm. um, it's been really good for me. Just kind of dive into some songs. I always like to try to think about, you know, what am I what am I saying when I'm singing this, or uh, what is what is it that my soul is communicating, or that I'm trying to communicate to my soul. So that's been mm-hmm. it's been really good for me. Uh, Sam, I think it has been for for him too. I've I've been trying to ease up on his workload <laughs> and learn a little bit more of the technical side of things. That's been good for me too. Yeah, it's been a, a neat change in creative outlet you know once the pandemic started mm-hmm. we started doing recorded lessons which was fun it taps into a different creative side and now this is a a new venture a new medium to be creative in a new way do have one thing i wanted to share with you guys look what i got last week this is awesome oh Ooh. oh my gosh i got my own t-shirt made by <laughs> one of our own johnny kirk uh mm, the bearded no charmer way. yes best beard in huntsville 2018 and 2019 i made that up wow i voted for it but uh, oh, he, he said to let unanimous. you guys know if you guys wanted one as well uh, that's to, fantastic uh, to, to put in your request but yeah he called me last week and was one. like can i drop this off i was like what, what do you what do you have to drop off i was really nervous to be honest yeah. with you can we like issue a competition to our young adults like take our faces put like banded denmark somewhere have fun with it and yeah. maybe we'll yes. give you like a chick-fil-a reward for the best one for sure it's a great idea let's do that we will put that out there so come up with your logo ideas for with our faces and the the band in denmark uh, uh, <laughs> uh trademark i guess and then yeah. uh, what's yeah, funny we'll, is we'll, I, we'll i'm pretty sure it's going to just confuse my audience like mm-hmm. my commercial audience is gonna be like wait what did she do in denmark yeah is this like a poor scandal <laughs> what and, oh by the way if if you're just listening to this on podcast you'll have to go check out the video because it, it's a t-shirt that was made by johnny kirk of, uh, of, of me yes. giving a thumbs up and it says banned in Denmark. So. And if you're just tuning in, a couple of weeks ago when we started, um, because some of the lyrics in Charlie's song were too close to the original, uh, what was it, YouTube banned our video in Denmark? Yeah, it just, it recognized the, uh, it recognized the melody. Everything. Yeah, it recognized yeah. the, the melody, the lyrics. I don't know how they, I even, I'm pretty sure I played it in a different key as well. So yeah, yep. normally just, that so it just like, automatically gets through it. Banned it. But for I don't know why Denmark was the only region that yeah. was illegal in, but it was. So Sorry, Denmark. Yeah, for real. Sticklers on that. Mm-hmm. They really? love Audrey Assad. <laughs> uh, so this week, our song is uh, is the song "It Is Well," um, or "It Is Well with My Soul." This is a. Uh, it's the proper name. It is yeah, well it is. It soul. is often shortened, but it, the proper name is that. And it's a great song. Um, I'm sure most of our our group is familiar with it. I would guess, you know, probably sixty or seventy percent of our listeners probably know the gist of the story. Uh, behind the writing of the song, but I wanted to get into a little bit more deeper about what the song or kind of the events surrounding the song uh, before we do that. And of course, we'll close as always, uh, like we do with a a performance of the song by Charlie. So um, just as we get started out, I'll just um, kind of fill you in on some details. Um, You know, everybody knows or a lot of people know that the song was written on a ship by Horatio Spafford. There's a little bit more to that story though. He lived in Chicago in the 1870s. He was a lawyer. He was a very successful lawyer, very wealthy businessman on the side as well. Uh, He was an elder in his Presbyterian church and he had also uh, helped start that church. And he happened to be friends at the time with D.L. Moody, uh, who was a very well-known traveling evangelist at the time still to this day i mean if you've heard of moody bible institute or moody radio any of those things moody publishing that all comes from dl moody he was the uh kind of rick warren or billy graham of his day um he also uh horatio spafford the writer of it as well was friends with moody and and then philip bliss and ira sankey and you we may not know who they are but in their day they were sort of the 
um, you know, Chris Tomlin or Charlie, like who's the, who's your favorite Christian songwriter these days? Um, Andrew Peterson's okay. Cra- he's making some big waves. So there you go. So, so bliss and Sankey were the Andrew Peterson of their day <laughs> and they were just bliss and Sankey were just kind of pumping out hymns left and right. Bliss actually, there's a few hymns that we still sing today that we know of today that were written by him. Um, wonderful words of life. If you know that one, if not, Sam's going to sing it for us. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> um, hallelujah. What a savior, or um, it's also known as man of sorrows. What a name. Uh, so those were both written by Philip Bliss and Bliss would actually go on to compose the melody for uh, it is well with my soul. And then Sankey traveled with, uh, with DL Moody a lot and he wrote a lot of hymns, but most of his haven't carried over into our day, but he actually did arrange and compose a lot for Fanny Crosby as well, who was also living at the time. So just, you know, a little bit of background to all that. Uh, he was wealthy. Um, like I said, Sp- Spafford was, um, but he also had an unusually high number of encounters with tragedy. Uh, so he had five children um, initially, and then in 1871, he lost his only son. I think it was to scarlet fever or pneumonia or something like that. I can't remember. Scarlet fever. Was yeah. it scarlet fever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then um, in 1871, also, um, we may remember hearing about in, in history class, the great Chicago fire. The legend was that this was a fire. It, it, of course, ravaged the city of Chicago. There's a legendary story that it was started by a cow that kicked over a, a lantern and you know caught some hay on fire, and then everything just kind of spread from there. We don't really know what the exact cause of the fire was, but that's just one of the legends that go with it. Uh, at the time, the fire killed 300 people, displaced 100,000, and caused $222 million worth of damage, which... Uh, to, to put that into perspective for us, the population of Chicago at the time was about 324,000. So the death toll was about 0.1% of that, which doesn't sound like a lot, but, but if we want to put that in today's numbers, today the city population of Chicago is about 2.6 million. The metro population is about 9.5 million. So imagine one event in Chicago today killing between 2,500 and 10,000 people. Uh, maybe coronavirus is sort of a, a modern parallel, uh, but bottom line is this was a 9-11 level of disaster in the city. One third of the city became homeless or displaced. And as far as the amount of damage, $222 million in 1871 is equivalent to about $4.5 billion today. So this was an epic disaster that affected everybody in the city including the Spaffords. Now, I, don't, I couldn't find if they were affected on this level as far as homelessness or that sort of thing, but it did definitely affect uh, Spafford's business. Two years later, uh, in an attempt to sort of recover from all this and uh, maybe just kind of you know, forget about things for a while, they were planning to travel to Europe uh, to, in part, take a vacation, but also to travel with D.L. Moody and Iris Sankey on an evangelistic tour. And then an emergency came up in Chicago with the business at the last minute. So Horatio Spafford sent his wife and daughters on and he stayed behind and he said he'll he'll catch up with them in a few weeks. So the wife and daughters got on an ocean liner named the Ville du Havre, I think it is. It's French. French. And uh, it's actually spelled uh, H-A-V-R-E. It made me think of Brett Favre, if we got any (laughs) football fans out there. But it's not uh, pronounced the same way. Anyway, so the ship collided with another ship in the middle of the night. It was about 2 a.m., dead middle of the Atlantic and uh, collided with another ship. It's a very tragic story because it was 2 a.m. Most of the people on the ship were asleep. They were below deck. The ship was almost torn in half in an instant. And the passengers who could ran above deck, realized what was happening and panic ensued. So in about Mm -hmm. 12 minutes, the ship sunk below the surface, uh, which is incredibly fast. If you think about 12 minutes, I mean, you have some time to collect your things, but you also have to think about how panicky this would have been and again for perspective um, the sinking of the titanic took place over a two hour and 40 minute span and if you've ever seen that movie uh, the movie is actually longer than the sinking of the type of the <laughs> ship was and you've seen the panic in that movie mm-hmm. so imagine that scrunched down into a, a 12 minute time frame uh, you yeah, find a lot of some, go I was ahead, gonna go say, just to give it some scale like the sinking of the ship was the largest like maritime disaster until the sinking of that t- the titanic so like mm-hmm. Yes. It was a pretty significant event. He saw it like it would have been in the newspapers. Yes. It was, it was kind of a big deal. That was, yeah. yeah, that was one of the things I'd read too, that if if not for the Titanic, this would be like the one ocean liner sinking everybody would know about even to this day. 
uh, it Leo was DiCaprio would have played him in the movie. Yes, mm-hmm. probably. He may have so. survived. It was, yeah. Yeah. it was that. It was that big of a deal. So uh, very, yeah. Uh, and there's actually quite a bit of information about it. Where I got most of mine is from the online Library of Congress. One of the things they said about the disaster was um, that there were passengers who were trying to um, ready the lifeboats to to get off of the ship, and they discovered that the lifeboats were actually stuck to the ship because they had just been painted and the paint had dried and stuck them to the ship. So that happened with the lifeboats. The ones that could be freed, many of them were commandeered by the crew and they just got out of there as fast as they could. And so a lot of people were just kind of left. It was, it was very tragic. It's very um, nightmarish scenario. And so as the ship was going down, Spafford's wife, Anna and his four daughters were uh, they ran to the to the deck again in the movie Titanic? They talk about the suction of the ship as it as it breaks the surface and mm-hmm. starts to go down. Apparently that happened, and the Spaffords were all sucked under. Um, Anna Spafford, the wife, lost the grip of her, one of her children when that happened, and then I think couldn't couldn't find the others after after she resurfaced. Uh, she was eventually found um, sometime later, floating on a piece of debris. Again, like in the movie Titanic, she was unconscious and um, eventually made it to Wales and sent a, a telegram to Horatio, saved alone, what do I do, is what she sent him. And then some other details about people that they were traveling with and, and how they died and, and then where to find her. And actually, I'll put a, um, there's the Library of Congress had a screenshot of that telegram uh, on their website. I'll put that in our show notes just so you could see it if you wanted to. This is a the kind of thing that, changes your world in a heartbeat her friends that were on the ship with her were lost uh horatio doesn't know he probably gets word via newspaper at some point in time that the ship has gone down he knows his family's on it probably doesn't know their fate until he gets this telegraph so he wires her back he gets on the next ship that he can but of course that probably takes him two weeks to get to her um so again just a lot of time for both of them to sort of sit in this uh so he left he went on he got on a ship and the story goes that as they were crossing over the place in the Atlantic where it was believed that the ship went down. The captain of the ship that Horatio was on called him into his cabin and said, Hey, I, I think we're going over the spot where, uh, where your family was lost. And so the story goes that he Horatio at some point in that trip, maybe that night went to his cabin, couldn't sleep and, and penned the words to this song, or actually it was a poem and it would be put to uh, to a melody by Philip Bliss later on, about two years afterwards. And you can find the original draft of this as well on the Library of Congress page, and I'll put it in our show notes also. So that's sort of the story of the song. And again, I mean, they were just visited by tragedy over and over and over. Um, what is a little bit more unclear is their life after this. There's a few things we know. We know that they eventually left their church in Chicago. Uh, we know that they began having prayer meetings in their house. And we know that by 1881, they sold everything and they moved to Jerusalem. And they were part of a community called the American Colony of Jerusalem. And this was a group that lived communally, which meant, which means they, they shared possessions, they shared income, those sorts of things. They were known in Jerusalem for their care for others in the community, whether they were Christian, Jew, or Muslim. Uh, but they also kind of were looked at with a side eye by some of the locals um, some say th- that's all that we know. And then there's a lot of speculation and a lot of things I found that I, I couldn't really verify, or I, I at least wasn't comfortable saying like, this is a definite and this isn't, but there, there does seem to at least have been a compound sort of group, or maybe a little bit, even David Koreshian type of, um, you know, style of living or, or style of community, uh, with them. There does seem to be an abandonment uh, of, of at least uh, what we would consider Orthodox Christianity. I would imagine if it were today, we would say that they probably suffered for, from some sort of post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just hard to say. Uh, that kind of stuff just wasn't well known at, uh, at the time. But we know they lost everything. They endured a lot of tragedy in a short period of time. They would go on to have three more children and lose another one of them to scarlet fever. Um, so I say all that to say, when this song was written, the words aren't hollow. Um, he means this, or at least he's trying to mean it, and he's trying to convince his soul it is well, no matter what happens. Whatever my lot, whatever's happened to me, you know, the word has taught me to say it is well with my soul. So 
that's sort of my deep dive. I don't know, Sam or Charlie, if you found anything or, or know anything else about this. Um, but those were sort of the, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, broader details about the song than I think what we, what we get most of the time. Yeah. I mean, just a couple of things. Um, right. When all this happened, like they would have lived through the civil war. So this is kind of like civil war. Yeah, that's era. Good point like, too. It's, good point. it's not modern America as we would think about it. Um, one of the other things I heard is that he was a, a lawyer and a, in, um, to take the businessman further, that he was an investor and he was a uh, real estate investor. So what yeah, I was yeah, reading I said that. that he had invested a lot of money in lakefront properties on like Michigan and lost all of it. So just add to that, not just like, hey, there was a fire and there's a catastrophe in our neighborhood. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, like that would have been what it was like for me on 9-11. Like there was a disaster, but I was completely unaffected. Um, yeah. You know, they would have lost a ton of money in this and he would have lost a ton of his investment. Um, and just the other thing about the Jerusalem, I didn't know about that. Um, but just to keep it in perspective, the modern nation state of Israel wasn't established until 1948. So, um, you know, assuming that they had moved sometime before or up to World War One, it would have been the Ottoman Empire. So it wouldn't have even been like necessarily a friendly state. So we're we're almost talking about a world that's separated from ours a little bit. Yeah. Before we talk, in, you know, a little bit more about the Bible uh, side of the, or the, you know, theological side of the song, or some of the lyrics, um, you know, Charlie, what's been your experience with the song, as far as you know how it's connected or, or spoken to you in your life, or how have you seen it um, be meaningful to congregations uh, as you've uh, have you sung it with them? Yeah, I am someone that speaks a lot about perspective. Um, often that is my trigger word of sorts. Um, it's one where I found I it's a concept almost that I find a lot of um, structure in when and really that's in any part of life whether that's your outlook on politics outlook on politics um, your outlook on morale or values or um, even your walk with Christ I believe that perspective um, particularly in times of trial is a lot of times and this is a bold statement but for me in my life it's a lot of times it's a cure-all um, a lot of times if I um, ask that of the Lord to give me a different perspective on something. Um, in that, I receive the answer that I had been asking for. And and um, the Holy Spirit works so much in doing that with me. So in terms of this song, that's really how I see this being so much of a strength, is it's a song about that kind of perspective. When you look at the way it was written, you look at the history and the time frame, and um, the way songs are penned are just they're so sacred and it's something that is, that can be a whole different conversation um, just as a songwriter. Um, and again, that kind of perspective that I give there um, often, that's the most special part of a song. Um, I can be at a show or a writer's round and I could sing this one really great song, but if I were to sing it at another writer's round and tell the story about it, people listen differently. So mm -hmm. the way things are penned has carries such weight to me and on the different note or on a different note pardon the pun um on my attachment to this song and kind of what i gather from it i what sticks out a lot to me is it being um i don't know if it a lament is the right word for this it's more of just it describing um the state of one's soul in uh, contrast with describing feeling or describing your heart or describing your mind the fact that the refrain or the chorus um, is one that goes back to it is well with my soul um, that I don't know if people really understand the weight of that statement and how it's saying like it's the difference between saying this is well with my soul or I feel okay about it <laughs> or mm. it's a it's all right yeah <laughs> like it's a it's a different kind of thing and um, so often especially in contemporary worship we are quick to um, give more of an account of what our feelings say, or especially the heart and the heart of something. I mean, that's all, that's always a word um, that I use in conversation, even of what someone's heart is and the health of your heart, because those things are important. But the fact that this is a song that is pertaining to the health and well being, quite literally, of one's soul, and it being a, a proclamation of that, it's just a it's my favorite hymn, if you can't tell. <laughs> it's it's my one of, if not the. I'm pretty sure. I don't I don't know of any yet that have taken the place. But that is my favorite hymn, both to hear um, and to sing. It, the message of it is just um, it's heavy. 
And I, it's everything that I really believe worship should be. And it's also a testament, I believe, to the power of song, the power of um, sticking a lyric with a melody and singing it to the Lord um, to think on what he had to have been going through and to pen those words and for them to have that kind of power to carry into centuries to us singing it so often now. Um, and it, you know, I can go as far as to say it being common knowledge. The lyrics of that is just, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. That was a lot of babble, but yeah, well, no, it, it resonates well. And I think, you know, Emily and I talk sometimes about the fact that there are times when we sing and we're singing from our heart and we mean it. And there, there are other times when we sing and we're, we're, sort of just singing it or going through the motions in a sense uh, because we're trying to force it onto our heart. We're, you know, we're, we're trying, you know, we, we may say it as well and not feel it as well, mm -hmm. but be trying to kind of force upon our hearts. Like, Hey, like we, we need to be, we need to arrive at a place where we can say, Lord, not my will, but your will, you know? Yeah. Um, and, One of and, my favorite worship. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just gonna say sometimes, you know, in singing a song, you have to do that. You don't, you don't yeah. sing because you mean it, but you sing because you want to make yourself mean it, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Because like I said, you know, when, when we sing this, what do we mean when we sing it? And so, of course, the first lines, um, when peace like a river attend, attendeth my way, or when, you know, when all is right, or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Uh, a lot of people may not know what sea billows are, but they're basically uh, like if you're imagining yourself on the ocean and as you see, the, you know, the ocean ripple or sort of roll, um, waves go rolling by, those are sea billows. And so when he says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, just imagine, we, we talked last week about, you know, wave after wave crashing on the shore. So imagine the sorrows coming in like that wave after wave. And he says, whatever my lot, um, I've been taught to say it is well with my soul. And, and for me, the, the immediate thought for me that, that goes back to is uh, the story of Job uh, in the Old Testament. And, you know, of course, Job has financial calamity. He loses his family. Um, a number of things happen to him. His own health deteriorates. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, so that's kind of the immediate thought that, that goes um, to me. And then verse two, he says, though Satan should buffet. Um, and, and that's another word that we don't know. It's another word that, that got, gets into sort of the nautical world. Um, it's, a, it's a word that uh, you may have heard in literature, you know, sometimes was buffeted by the waves or buffeted by the wind. It just means like, again, repeated attacks. Um, and again, most often it's used to talk about ships and waves kind of hitting ships over and over and over. So he's saying, though Satan should repeatedly attack, the trial should come. Let this blessed assurance or let this blessed assurance um, control or kind of take root uh, within him, uh, control his emotions, that sort of thing. That, that Christ has regarded our helpless estate, that Christ has seen us in our need and has shed his own blood for our soul. Um, and then he goes on, and this is really the part I want to land on. This is my favorite verse, probably in all of Christian hymndom. <laughs> like mm -hmm. verse three, he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And, and if you've not really thought about it, you have to think like this, the way he writes this is amazing because he starts a sentence and then he stops in the middle of his sentence. And so he just says, my sin, and he's trying to say, my sin is nailed to the cross, but he says, my sin, stop. Oh, the, the bliss, the, the joyfulness of this glorious thought. And then he starts again, my sin. And then he stops again and he says, not just a little bit of it, but the whole, like all of my he's sin. He's preaching, essentially. Yeah, I mean, he's going <laughs> at it. He says, it's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And so for me, this is communicating his theology at this point in his life. Um, he does not see this tragedy as, as God punishing him for something he's done wrong whether it's this financial state that he's in or whether it's, you know, what has happened with his family for him to, to write, you know, in verse two, though Satan should buffet. Um, and then in verse three to say, you know, my sin, not just a little bit of it, but all of my sin is nailed to the cross. All of my sin Christ has borne. Um, so I'm not being punished for my sins. This is just kind of the result of, of life being life. And I think that's very important for us to understand theologically, like, if we are found in Jesus, there may be circumstances in life. There may be, there may be things that happen to us that are circumstances of bad decisions that we make, but, but they're not 
but not punishment from God. Like our punishment is taken by cross by Christ on the cross as a whole. And the, you know, numerous verses speak to this. Isaiah 53, nine says the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all. It's a prophecy 700 years before Jesus even comes. Um, John the Baptist says of Jesus that here comes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Romans five, Paul talks about um, by by one man, Adam, sin has entered the world, and by, by the other man, Jesus. God has, has taken away our sin, has, has freed us from the burden of sin. So the, I, I really think that's important for us to understand. When we sing this, that theology is central to this song, and it is central to Christianity. And if you are experiencing tragedy or hurt or, or just turmoil right now, please understand it, it is not punishment. It is not, you know, God's upset with you or whatever. Again, it could be circumstances of bad decisions, but that's just what that is. That's A plus B equals C. But in this case, like if we are found in Jesus, then he has taken all of, all of, all of the punishment for our sin uh, himself on the cross. So um, that's kind of what I took from it theologically, biblically. Sam, I didn't know if you thought of anything else uh, with that or, or Charlie, if there's any, anything you want to add to that. Um, one of the things I was, as you were talking, John, I think it's hard to not read this and not think about Job. Um, and going back to that kind of dichotomy between happiness and joy, I can't honestly sit here and say, I think, I, I don't think that guy pens this while he was not completely and utterly miserable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes that's lost on a lot of Christians sometimes or just people in general is that, you know, we talk about this joy or happiness that we possess and we're talking about this like eternal long-term one but we're not refuting that you go through really hard times. The Bible even talks about it, even in Genesis, once they're kicked out of the garden, it says like, you're going to have a rough life. Things are going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, you're not always going to have a great time, but you still have an eternal hope um, in Christ. Um, and then I guess for me, as I was thinking about it, to hold up this maritime idea, um, as I was listening to a, a little thing about it, it made me think about Psalm 42, specifically verse 7 where it says deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls, all your massive waves surged over me. Um, and the entire Psalm is really about this like lament, but returning back to God, um, the voices in your head saying like, no, something you did something wrong or something is wrong or God's upset. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like the depth in me calls out to something that is deeper than myself. Um, and I don't want to read it, but I encourage you to. Um, so I know it, it doesn't directly touch in the words of the lyrics, but just thinking about that misery that he would have been sitting in, um, you know, what, what might have been going on underneath the surface uh, maritime pun unintended. Yeah, no, I think you touched on something too. It's um, like a, the, it speaks on the testimony of the necessity of praise um, despite trial. And um, the, like I said, going back on that word that I love using of given a perspective that I feel as if God longs for us to have, um, in order to properly see and live in his glory, um, it's so, um, it's, it's necessary just for us to understand um, through opportunities like trial and through conflict and through those tribulations that he is worthy to be praised regardless. But, and, and because of that, your hope will always be found in him. Um, so, you know, and that's what I like to say to Sam and John too, for those that are listening, um, I'd love, I um, find, um, more purpose in giving a layman's turns perspective just because these two can be doggone intellectual. Um, <laughs> there's just so much, so much smartness in the room. Um, for a more of a perspective of layman's terms and a way of how this can take action in your normal life or on a Sunday when you're in first fellowship or when you're in sanctuary, um, no matter what you're going through, there is hope found in the Lord and he is worthy to be praised. Um, and through that, it's through that praise that we find comfort. And it's even in the midst of it, man, there, I can't tell you how many times that I've been um, on the worship stage, on the platform and doing my job. And, you know, at home, something else is going on or um, my car overheated on the way there. Like <laughs> they're first world problems and, you know, terrible, terrible life situations too. But um, I think of a time on a much, much smaller scale. And the way that I relate to a similar scenario is when the pandemic started. Um, when the pandemic happened and I was not in contact with First Baptist Church whatsoever, um, had no no connection, um, I was a worship leader for hire and I was playing shows for hire. So doing my music and songwriting and everything and, and doing worship when someone would have me. And so when the pandemic hit, I remember 
um, it was almost like trying to beat a tornado home. I was driving home from my last show that I had booked. And literally as I was driving, I was getting notifications of emails of shows and worship being canceled and canceled and canceled. And so mm. by the time I got home from that drive from Nashville to Georgia, um, my schedule was wiped clean. And that was our way of income um, hugely. And the only other stream of income that I did have was through dog sitting, a dog sitting business that I created. And so one thing that people don't need when they're not going on vacation is a dog sitter. So everything was gone um, in terms of my financial stability with myself and my husband. And I just remember thinking, um, or that same week, um, I was asked to, in the middle of quarantine, we had started, we had hunkered down, battened down the hatches. My friends had asked me to lead like a Zoom worship for them um, after their Bible study. And I just remember thinking like, you know what, the last thing I want to do right now is sing. The last thing I want to do, and this is being super real, last thing I want to do is talk about God's goodness, because right now I'm, I don't feel it, because right now I don't see his goodness. Um, but it was through just doing it, despite, and it was through seeking strength from the Holy Spirit to be like, no, remember, remember his glory and his righteousness and his hope is in you, regardless of where you are on this earth and where you are in your trial. Those things don't change. And yeah, this, this is the the pinnacle of that kind of testament of a song for, for what he was enduring. And not to mention, I mean, just as a, as a songsmith to know, um, to see each verse and the communication of choice for him and the, the alliteration and, and like the imagery of choice for him was the sea. Um, and to know that that's when he was writing it. And that was the tragedy that had occurred. Like it's, it's, it's really, really neat. That's a different note, but. Well, uh, it, it is and it isn't. Um, before we get to that, number one, thank you for your comment on our intellectualism or whatever. I'll just let you know you have your own variety because I don't know what a dagad is or whatever it was that you that you talked about a couple weeks ago. It's but, the way you tune the guitar. The, <laughs> a dagad. Um, I, I, whatever you say, see that I don't even know. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> to get back to a little bit of what Sam said, Sam alluded to a lot of the psalms, and a lot of the psalms are psalms of like. Lord, what is going on? What are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I find it refreshing to find so much of that in the Bible that the Bible readers are like, dude, like, can you come through for me? Um, yeah. To put it mildly. Mm-hmm. And then to get back to what you were talking about, Charlie, because you, you had sort of your own, you know, miniature variety of this. Mm-hmm. Could you all see yourselves if this, if this had happened to you, could you have written this song in that moment? Oh. I, I could not, I would, I would have been miserable and there's, I don't, there's no way I would have written this. I don't know if I would have had the capacity to create necessarily, but I, I would like to hope that the part of me that understands the sacredness and understands the power of the Lord and the part of me that wants to put my walk with Christ on a pedestal and believe that I'm after that sanctification. Yeah. Part of me believes that I would have the capacity to know to praise because often that's actually been a reality in my life of times of trial or trauma and the only thing i do know to do is to sing um but that that's getting into like childhood history for me so i i, I relate to this that's that's why it's so special to me is because i do relate to um making that almost like a uh like machine-like reaction like a habit of trials happening uh, go to this in song but in terms of writing it and like processing the lyric processing what you're going through in the terms of how can this be poetic like that's <laughs> not what i could have done no yeah i think that's really the power and the truth of the gospel and and there is this brand of christianity that sort of is a caricature of it that uh you know that says if you know if you do all the right things then everything will go well with you but the history of mm-hmm. christianity all the way back to jesus's own disciples will tell us like that is not the case because we can even look at their lives and see the the disasters and tragedies they went through Praise um, is not earned. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah. And even the subset of Christians will say, you're not faithful if you're going through something terrible in your life. Like, if you believe in Jesus, then everything should be right. ice cream and rainbows. Um, <laughs> and I don't think the Bible ever says that anywhere. Yeah, it, definitely not with Jesus' disciples. Start mm-hmm. there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you said, like Paul, I mean, yeah. It, so if it's not true there, then it's it's not going to be true for us. As we, uh, you know, we're getting short on time. Um, let's let's finish this up with the talk of what we touched on earlier, because I think also relevant to our day, uh, we are living in cancel culture time where uh, if, if anybody finds anything about your past, thank goodness there was not Twitter when I was 18. Um, not that I said like terrible things, but I, 
I'm glad nobody can find, you know, just the things that I said and did at that time in my life. Um, but because of that, because, you know, people can dig up things from your past or you could say something and, and just misspeak, but all of a sudden find yourself like in the, in the midst of a storm of controversy. Um, you know, we live in a time where, where that is sort of an, uh, an everyday thing on both sides of the aisle. Um, and, and I believe going forward, I think one of the things that Christianity has to offer to that, to a culture that's, that, that finds itself sort of stuck in that is, is, is the power of forgiveness, the power of being able to move and move on and grow from your mistakes. Um, but with that being said, you know, what do we do when we find flaws in, in, in our heroes and the people who've come before us who maybe the standards of their day were a little bit different than the standards, standards of our day are. Um, and so you know, if they were living today, we would say, man, you know, I would really condemn that. But at their time, you know, people didn't see things that way, but they they still did some good. Um, so what do we, what do we do with that? Or in the case of Horatio Spafford, like I said, seems to be some fuzzy theology towards the end of his life. Can we still sing this song? Um, so as leaders, I think we need to wrestle with that. And I want to kind of throw that out to you uh, for our listeners. Like, what do we do with these kind of things? Whether it's you know, the founding fathers who, who did some good things, but also like didn't really do a whole lot about slavery or even, um, you know, MLK. One of the things that people bring up that's controversial about him is he, he had a mistress. Um, he still did some great things. Does that discount what he does? So I want to throw that out to you guys and, and see what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as a worship leader, I resonate so much with this kind of debate because we, I don't believe you're doing your job um, unless you are, pertaining things to the gospel. If, unless it is backed up in the word, you are giving, uh, giving something that is um, manufactured. You're not, it's not true to what, what we're supposed to do in the kingdom. Um, you may be making a difference in the world, but you would not be making a difference in the kingdom. So with that being said, um, we go to the, to the word and go to the gospels and see how fractured and broken and flawed these very people are that we learn lessons about in every in every facet of Christianity, in every um, piece of something that can build us up and teach us to be disciples, disciple making disciples, it was learned by a broken person. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name them all because it's it's a long list. Um, but if yeah. you spend any time in Bible school or Sunday school, you will <laughs> learn the truth about these individuals that are recorded in history through the Bible. That something that is so powerful and that we can resonate with and be like, oh my goodness, God worked through these people. God showed himself through these broken, flawed individuals. So that testament for one, underline that, <laughs> you know, knowing that kind of thing as we look forward in, in praise and what my job is of selecting music for us to sing as a congregation, um, that I, I see that title as something that does not, I don't, um, I'm also not doing my job unless I go through that process with discernment. I think it's just discerning. Is this my decision to make as a worship pastor? Is this something that's understood within um, the team of, of pastors and, and of ministers? I think that it should be a weighted decision, but at the same time, we can't get in the way of that concept of we can learn things from broken people. If it's mm -hmm. the, just, you know, speaking on the argument of, well, this thing that this person did, they also wrote this song that's fantastic, but this thing that they did was just, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sam, what do you think, bud? Yeah, I mean, I could probably talk for days, and I'm going to try not to on this topic. Um, you know, I think the starting with the the Bible, right, a, a theocentric kind of position, right? The Bible tells us that all people are sinners, right? There is only one person mm -hmm. who lived who has not sinned, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, so I think we have to keep that lens, and along with that, um, we have the benefit of a modern perspective. Um, right. So from this cultural moment, right where we are, where we're recording this, right, we can look back and say, like, yeah, this doesn't fly with where we are. Um, this doesn't this wouldn't hold up. I really don't appreciate this. Um, we can say, no, this was wrong. Um, so I think there is room within all of that to say that God can still do wonderful, miraculous things that will touch millions of people's lives or transform this world through people who are very, very, very flawed. Um, However, I think there are a couple of caveats um, that I'll just cover quickly, and I would love to talk to anyone who wants to engage me offline with it. Um, but in a podcast I was listening to, I think they make a really good point, and the podcast is this cultural moment, is that in our progression from a post-Christian culture to now a post-modern culture, um, we have seen a almost social shift of people looking to find new heroes. 
which seems to really resonate where we are, right? We go to baseball players and we're like, well, this is a really, really good baseball player because they do all these good things. And then you scroll through their Twitter history when they were 18 and you're like, mm. holy cow, they wore elephant pants. Um, or, you know, or they said all of these. He said something at 18, so he's a racist. Now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though he's 35 um, or whatever, right. you know. Yeah. And so then all of us are like so deflated because we're like, oh, our hero boy, our, our wunderkind is not doing what we want them to do. Like they're not living up to this ideal. Nice, nice use of the German term, by the yes. way. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Um, and so I think we have a problem with that in our culture, whether it's kind of elevating an individual, elevating a political party or elevating a politician. And just time and time again, we as a society will find they don't live up to who we are. And now we're extremely disappointed and now have to focus kind of this attention and this hero ship to someone else. Um, so I think that's one thing that we have to balance. And then the other thing I think we have to balance is the very real damage that can be done by the sin in people's lives. Um, having said that people are sinners and that God can still do really good things. You know, Charlie, to your point, if there's a church that you think might be doing te- or teaching theologically things or theological perspectives or pro- theological projections, um, as it were, about text, I think we have a responsibility as intelligent believers who are not automatons, um, as I joked about earlier, to say, like, I don't think this drives with the scripture, right? Because scripture is canon. It's the measuring stick. It's the ruling stick that we judge other things against. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. I think things are still usable. We have to realize that people are broken. But we do have a benefit to say, like, these were not good things, but these other things can still be good. Um, we look at the Broadway show of Hamilton, and, you know, they have an opportunity in the show to say Hamilton is this great person and he was so underappreciated. And he did all these wonderful things. And kudos to them. They took the opportunity to say, look, he stepped outside his marriage and he did all these other things. And we shouldn't be like whitewash it or just wash it over it and be like, yeah, we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. Um, right. So I think it is possible to say these are not good things, but these other things are still good. Um, and as far as Horatio is concerned, um, you know, I think we can say this is a really good song. It is consistent with theology. It's consistent with the truth revealed in the gospel. It is true according to our human experience. And even if these other things were not good, we can still say, hey, this is still usable. This is still something that bears truth to it. Um, because if we didn't do that, like we probably wouldn't be able to use the Bible, right? We wouldn't be able to yeah. follow Paul. We wouldn't be able to exactly. you know, pay attention to any of the disciples because these are very broken people. I mean, to go as far as to say, much of the disciples didn't even realize the full extent of Jesus's sonship in God, even after like he was crucified, right? They, Jesus came back and appeared to them and they're like, holy cow, who, you're son of God, really? And he's like, what did you think I've been trying to tell you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll put a pin in it with that. Well, and I think, you know, both you guys talked about this a little bit. Part of the process of being an adult is being able to discern, being able to weigh things and and recognize where there is uh you know something that that deserves a, a little bit more attention or you know put things within their context and and things like that um if we were to throw out everything or everybody because of everything that we disagree with about them a we're going to make our room very 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 small um and, mm-hmm. and then b i think we're also going to when you do that, you don't allow for the possibility of even your own growth. Um, none of us are our full selves or our arrived selves. We're all going to be different people in 10 years than we are right now. And we're different people now than we were 10 years ago. And I think you've got to allow for that for everybody. And I saw a quote, I'll close it out with this. Um, I actually saw it today attributed to Colin Cowherd of all people. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of, but um, it was a great quote. He said, if you, if you want people to grow, then you can't demand that they be perfect. And I think, you know, that's, that's where we have to land. I think with things like this, you know, um, this is a great song. Of course, he, Horatio Spafford has no more growing to do, but in spite of whatever may have happened at the end of his life, at the point in time where he wrote this, like this song, like he hit on a the, theological truth and he hit it dead square on yep. the head. Um, and so I think for us to sing this song in our churches is, is, totally permissible and totally um, honoring to God and to who God is and how God works in our lives in spite of what Horatio Spafford may or may not have done the rest of his life. And so, um, you know, with all that said, you know, it is a, I think it's a debate to be had for our time. What do we do with the flaws of our heroes and Mm -hmm. the flaws of our own? Uh, And I think we have to remember to allow room for, for growth. So. Yeah. And I think a further way to sum it up too is a thought that as songwriters, this is something that, um, or a belief that is shared by many in the songwriting world, 
when we make something and when something is created, for one, it's for the benefit or it should be. I'm, not everyone is probably going to agree with me. Uh, many that are on the radio or have a record deal with specific record labels. But anyway, <laughs> the belief should be um, and is shared that a song exists for one is, is created for the benefit of others. So a song is written for the sake of connection. If you attend a show of mine, you will hear me say, I will sing whether I'm getting paid to do it or not, because I can't help but do it. It's, it is from the time of being a really young tot, <laughs> it was the place that I found connection with other people. And then um, when I found the Lord, it was the place where I found connection to the higher power, to the Lord. And so for one, that's, that's a foundation, but two, um, when a song is birthed and when a song is created, it is created with the intent of, it exists on its own. Um, many times in a writing session, you'll hear me say, or I've, I've been quoted saying in, in interviews, a song is going to, many songs, they are, they exist on their own. Whether or not I'm the writer to write it, a song exists. And you get into kind of some weird like juju thought when you, when you start talking about that kind of stuff. But hear me out. A song is, if a song is a message and a song is a lament, a prayer, an intent, it exists on its own. It's whether or not it's going to be written or who it's going to be written by um, or who experiences it. So if when, with that being said, you know, if we think of what we use for praise and worship and look at the songs for what they are, what they say, their intent when they were written, I think that's all our job is. Yeah. And, and anything that spans beyond that gets into cancel culture. Yeah. In my humble opinion. No, I think you're right. I think those are wise words and great way to close uh, close it out today. We had a great discussion today. A little lengthy, but yeah. I think we, I think it was a good one. A little, little bit of firecrackers in there. Um, Give us a five-star review if you're still Please. We actually have two on iTunes that I really? saw. So yeah, thank cool. you, whoever you are out there that listened to us on iTunes and gave us a five-star Two stars or two five-star reviews? Two five-stars. Two five-stars. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't me. Yeah. Was Sam, no. was it you? Nope. John, was it wasn't me. Okay. That, well, that we, that we, we should have five. That is a great yeah. point. Oh, sorry. Let's go do that, guys. Um, also, <laughs> we want to thank our show sponsor for today, uh, Charlie Woods Dog Sitting. Um, and Denmark. <laughs> and Denmark. So... <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We're going to close like we have the previous few weeks. And here is Charlie Lowry with a performance of It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my love thou hast taught me to say.
Yeah.